Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and this is where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter, Built by Scott, and Instagram at King O'Kane, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page, Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to empower and inspire a community of people who take every opportunity to live a high-performing life. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Seven years ago, Jamie and I set out to answer a question. Can you integrate the worlds of therapy and performance so that they work together for the benefit of the client? We knew that if we could create something truly tangible that was inclusive instead of exclusive, it would allow you, the practitioner, to solve more problems, work with purpose instead of a cross-purpose, and in the end, you would earn more income by working smarter, not harder being fulfilled, and sought after for your solutions. After creating reconditioning and witnessing the change of so many professionals' lives and practices, we knew still there was one more ingredient we needed to make it a bulletproof process. For so many years, the brain and central nervous system were not clearly understood. There were a lot of theories and interesting practices, but the research just wasn't there to support the claims. But in the last 10 to 15 years, the world of neurology has come out of the laboratory into the world of real application. We knew this was the missing piece of our process, bringing the current practices of applied neurology into the empowering practice of reconditioning. Introducing Neuro-Reconditioning. The R-Pro series, four steps, one mission, to make you the neuro-reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. If you haven't started yet, it all starts out with our signature course, R1 Foundations. R1 is about learning the building blocks of assessing and improving functional movement through the lens of applied neurology. Maybe you've taken the first step, but that's a bit like being a freshman in a college. You've only just begun. R2 Designs empowers the process even further so you can assess and improve any human movement, understand the visual and vestibular system, and then integrate your work into performance programming and return to performance. Both of these courses are completely online experiences, so you can digest everything from the comfort of your home, hotel, plane, or office. But knowing that there is so much value in trying, doing, and living the experience with us by your side, our new R3 Collab is about you experiencing the full power of the process in a living lab. Troubleshooting your issues, fixing your problems in real time, and gaining real confidence in the process, as well as learning how the brain integrates and manages everything we do. Finally, our R4 mentorship is about exposing your knowledge, refining your approach, and learning through a powerful feedback process so you can be a reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. For more information on all our course offerings, including our landmark personal development program, Empower You, please check out reconditioninghq.com today and use the coupon code LYM50 for $50 off any one of our course offering. If maximum strength, injury prevention, and performance enhancement are important to you, Isofit's all-new Maximum Strength Kit is an absolute must add addition to your arsenal. Requiring less than seven square feet of space, Isofit's cost-saving design provides over 2,000 pounds of resistance for millions of isometric-based strength exercise. Made from cold-rolled Canadian steel, Isofit's Maximum Strength Kit is the world's first performance product dedicated to maximizing isometric strength, peak isometric force, and maximum isometric endurance strength. Since 2015, Isofit strength products have proudly strengthened and stabilized athletes in the NFL, NBA, NLB, NHL, and UFC. Pre-sale pricing is on now. Order yours today at www.isofitmsk.ca. That's isofit with a PH. Remember to use the discount code Leave Your Mark to save 15% on your purchase. Shipping February 2022. Matrix Fitness has been the longest standing sponsor of the Leave Your Mark podcast. Greg Lawler, the Vice President of Business Development, reached out to me over a year and a half ago to say that he felt we had a common vision for human performance, something bigger than just helping people physically perform better. Their mission aligns with my mission, the idea that by creating the fertile soil for everyone and anyone to start or continue their personal performance journey, we will be here to help you do it. 
Matrix is one of the biggest brands in fitness and performance equipment today, but they are more than that. They are about helping you reach higher, explore your possibilities, and stay in the game, whatever your chosen path. Whatever you need, whether that is to buy equipment, rent equipment, or seek consultation, or simply recognize the possibilities, Greg and his team at Matrix are here to help you. You can find them at teamupwithmatrix.com today. Everyone struggles with the challenges of life on a daily basis. You're not alone. But if you're like most people, you feel alone, even when you're in a great relationship or a good work environment, because it's so hard to honestly reflect on your insecurities and obstacles with the people that you love or serve. After all, everyone wants to present themselves as being on it, prepared, ready to meet the challenges of life head on. But you know that's not how you always feel inside. Do you sometimes feel as though just having someone to bounce your ideas off of would be something you needed? Maybe you wish you just had someone who would listen to you so you could vent without the fear of judgment. The LYM Life Lab is about real mentorship. It's about me listening to you, connecting, empathizing, realizing, and reflecting so you can make better decisions, create your own change, and live a life of fulfillment and joy. It's not about living the perfect life. It's about living a better life. One you design, craft, explore, and experience within a safe place of objective perspective and honesty but no judgment. In the coming weeks, I will be opening this program up to an exclusive group of people, people who want to see real change in their lives and are willing to work towards real growth. This isn't a program for everyone, but if you're up for the challenge, you'll want to pay close attention to how to be included in this powerful experience. Stay tuned in the coming weeks for how you can be an instigator of your own change. Uh, hello, everybody. Scott Livingston from Leave Your Mark, and I'm not going to go through all the long-winded uh, introductions. I have uh, the esteemed David Joyce with me, David, and I have uh, I've had David on the podcast before and introduced his background and stuff, and I'll let him tell us where he's been. And I've had him on again with a, a really great panel discussion that's still one of the most uh, downloaded sessions we've ever done. So uh, it was when I saw that he had just put out his new book and we're always banging back and forth on twitter and stuff at different times and then david said we should chat again and i'm like yeah absolutely let's do this so david good to see you again man uh scotty thanks for having me what a treat it is to 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 see you and hear you again and um and looking forward to the next hour or so it's, uh, I always find this conversations with people in Australia just a strange thing. Like I'm up at five thirty in the morning, and you're just about to go to bed. It's always very weird. But anyway, I oh, know, I know. It's so, well, you know, I can tell you what's going to happen today if that's of any help. <laughs> <laughs> That would be beneficial for me. Listen, um, the last, like a lot of uh, SHIT has gone on since the last time we talked in this, in this world. Think, Your I life has changed a lot. <laughs> We've had a global pandemic. We've had all kinds of things happen, but uh, your your life has changed a fair bit. You've you've squeezed a mass, uh, MBA in there in the middle of all this too. So Bring me up to speed on life in David Joyce's world. The last time we talked, you were working with a, a football team, and now you're, um, you know, doing other things. What are you doing now? What's what's yeah. what has changed in your life? Yeah, well, geez, it feels like so much has changed, Scotty. So um, I've I've left full-time athlete-facing sport. I'm still pretty much working full-time in sport, but much more on a strategy perspective. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm running my own strategy consulting firm and I work a lot with um, national governing bodies, with <clears throat> with international um, uh, governing bodies and, and sports and with individuals who do quite a lot of executive coaching as well and in startups. And that's on the back of a lot of the stuff that I've done in in the MBA as well because what I wanted to really do was scale my impact. And I'll first and foremost, and I will always be a coach, but mm-hmm. I, I actually want, what I'm really passionate about is is paving the way for to make the environment and the ecosystem better for coaches and athletes um, both in this country and Australia but also worldwide. So that's, that's kind of where I'm going at the minute and – um what have, what else have we achieved oh well we've got um young rory has joined our family so he's he's five months old now oh, and wow. um 
yeah, so he's a, he's a happy little happy little chap, um, except when he's not. Um, <laughs> and, and, and when he's not, you know about it. Um, and he's got an enormous set of lungs on him, so he, he really lets you know. And then obviously, obviously we've um, Dan and I have, have just released the second edition of, of High Performance Training for Sports. So it's been it's been a busy period of time since we've last spoken, Scotty. Yeah, wow, you've packed uh, you've packed some stuff in there. <laughs> How to unpack it all? Well, I'm going to start with like what what was the um, the driver, the the instigator for you to sort of change directions in essence that uh, you know, and sometimes those things can be both um, in your power and out of your power. But I'm just curious did did you want to kind of change directions and where you wanted to go, and if so, why? What was itching in you to uh, and 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 if if not, I mean, for the listener too, like why did you then choose the, this path versus trying to work in another with another sport team again? Yeah, um, it's it's funny. Like I <clears throat> I get asked that question quite a bit, and I ask that um, question myself quite a bit as well. And I think the reality is that um, I'd looked at MBAs for, I don't know, 15 years when I was living and working in the UK and um, and I've always had a real interest in in seeing outside of what we do in, in sport and, and I've always had this sort of strong belief that what we do in sport is is really really important socially but it is only just a small part of the of life's rich tapestry. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so I started off doing an MBA part-time and then I thought, you know what, I've been working 20 years now and, and maybe it's time for some half-time oranges or, or quarter-time oranges or hopefully not three-quarter-time oranges and, and go, right, well, <clears throat> what, is, what do I want the next phase of my career to look like? Um, and I thought, well, I actually really want to give this a proper crack. And so I went full-time on my MBA because I'm actually really passionate about the strategy space. Like I love the athlete-facing stuff. I love the actin mice and I love the, the, the hamstring rehab and the, you know, the sprint mechanics and all those sorts of things. And those things are always challenging. It's just that I kind of felt, Scotty, and I don't know if you've had this yourself, but I kind of felt that whilst they were challenging, they were still the same challenges as what I'd seen for the last mm-hmm. 15 years. And I actually wanted to scare the bejesus out of myself. I actually really wanted to go <laughs> and go, I've got no idea about this, and and to, to learn about all different aspects of, of life, finance and business and, and the like. And I had this inkling that in sport we don't do that stuff well, but equally in business they don't do a lot of high-performance stuff well. And I kind Mm. of felt like I sit in this neat little Venn diagram overlap. Mm. Um, And and it was just so brilliant to be in a – a, a business school full of just some of the world's smartest people and, and finding out about the world and seeing what other people do. And, and, and it is, it's a, it's a cause of, of um, amusement, I suppose, but also for, of, of intrigue of a lot of people because it's just mm. not something which is normally done. I suppose mm. I gave up a, a, a well-paid high profile job to go back to being a student because I, I kind of felt, you know, I wanted to really explore myself and I wanted to mm. scare myself, and that's what I did. That's that's really cool. I want to dial into that a little bit. So, first of all, what was day one like when you walked into school again in, yeah. whatever, in whatever format it was at that moment? Yeah, well, I realised just how old I was, you know, so that... <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was that mature age student that I used to poke fun at, <laughs> and so um, yeah, I, I started when I was forty four, you know, and the um, the average age in my cohort was thirty one. Wow! So um, there, there were there was there was a sense there that um, well, I was I was I had some trepidation, you know, would would, would I be respected? Would I be um, would I be laughed at? All these sorts of things, mm. um, and you know, what would my value proposition be? Mm. And um, 
And what did you discover in that? What did you, what did did you find out you were, your fears were wrong? Like your classmates were excited to have somebody who was 44 in their space and to bounce ideas off of or? Uh, Yeah, look, I think so. And I hope so. What I, what I probably didn't give myself and other people enough credit for was the fact that um, actually anyone who does an MBA has got a fairly growth mindset, you know, Mm. and, that people found value in what I was doing and what I was saying because of my experiences. And Mm. I've got a long history in leadership. So when you do a lot of leadership stuff, I was able to really contribute there. Um, But it was also great for me to be completely vulnerable because I ain't no maths guy. And when I'm doing, you know, hardcore finance and things like that, you know, I really needed to to lean into people and to show um, and to ask for help. And it's not something that I've been terribly good at over my journey, mm. I would say, mm. Scott. So yeah. it was actually a it was actually a really nice forcing function for me to be just the the dimmest person in the class in this area. And what what I what I do know about myself, what I am really confident in, is that I'm a quick learner, and mm. I actually find the going from nothing to eighty percent knowledge that's that steep learning curve exhilarating. Mm-hmm. And the the MBA, you know, whether I was doing a law unit or a finance unit or marketing or or strategy, it just gave me endless opportunities to go from zero to 80, 85 really quickly. And it's it was really rewarding for me. Wow, that's very cool. What was um what was a part of it that uh was there any part of it that when you did it you go you said to yourself, you know what? Maybe if I had done this when I was younger, I would have enjoyed that career or that direction. Like you said, you did a law section. You did. Was there anything that you kind of went, hmm, maybe if I was 22 again, I'd I'd pursue that? Yeah. Yeah, Look, I'd absolutely. If I was was a, a young man with no family, no ties, I would probably have been very comfortable in management consulting. Um, because it's so varied and it's and it's just um, the, the learning opportunities are great mm. and you go in and you solve problems. And actually what we do, you and I, in sport is that we try to solve problems, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, we use sport as our vehicle to do that, but they're just problems nonetheless. They're still diagnostics. Mm-hmm. And um, when you're going into business and trying to work out why they're not doing things as well as they could or, you know, whatever it is, it's still a process of diagnosis. So mm-hmm. um, I think I could have easily have done that, but I don't think I would want to. The reason I, the reason I say that, Scotty, is because I, I think now that when I exited at, at age 45, I look back and go, so what are my mates from the MBA doing? And a lot of going to management consulting with BCG or Bain or McKinsey or, or whatever. Um, and I would love to do that. It's just completely incompatible with having a family. Right, uh, right. Or, we, we, you know, for me anyway, because, yeah. there, you know, there's, there's so much, so much travel. There's, you know, 80-hour weeks and all that sort of stuff. I ca- I've kind of pulled up those trees doing, uh, being in sport for so long as you have, so... Um, I, I would definitely have gone into that, I think. And as a family, like, I'm curious, how did you negotiate this? Because, you know, like your partner's used to you being X and you're, you know, you've got, you know, responsibilities and all these other things. How are, how are you making, you know, just for the listener, cause I, and for myself, I, you know, I think most people get challenged by those kinds of pivots in their life simply because of the responsibilities that they have or that they feel that they have uh, to provide, to be able to, you know, and so you're kind of venturing out in this possible possibility but it's no no longer the 22 year old that's venturing out in the possibility it's the 44 year old how how do you negotiate that how do you make that happen for yourself and for your family yeah look that's a terrific question um and the reason it's such a good question is because i really learned the importance of aligning expectations and being very clear up front with that stuff mm. and i've got my, my wife's an absolute superstar she's a she's a superhero um and she was completely willing to to um say well we're going to um we're going to have less money coming in because you know i'm not working full time 
but long term this is going to be better like I would be a better version of myself so we viewed it as a as a life investment but I was also fortunate we don't have an extravagant lifestyle and we we're, we're good with with money so we had a we had a buffer and and I had also set aside time to um, uh, do a little bit of work but not so much because I really wanted to focus on the MBA but what I found was that I was actually able to pick up part-time work through it as well which mm. you know really helped and um, but I, I guess look the reality was Scotty I was probably in full-time professional sport I was doing 80 hour weeks so I was away mm. all the time all yeah. the time you're traveling all the time and I was actually at home a lot more during the mm. NBA mm. so the, um, the the kids got to see me a lot more we only, we only had Matilda at that stage my wife got to see me a lot more I was actually able to to be around the house and and a lot of people in the NBA think oh doing a 40 hour week geez it's, it's really tough and and it is but geez, I was coming from a completely different standpoint, you know. Right. So it was actually it was it was pretty good. Where are you on the comfortable with being uncomfortable scale? You 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 like that? You like the sense of uh, I'm out of my comfort yeah. zone, so to speak? Yeah, I I my palms start to sweat if I get really comfortable. I don't I don't like it. I mm. I'm actually. It's, it's going to sound stupid, but I'm really uncomfortable if I find myself comfortable in certain situations, like if it's um, in, in, in existential situations. Like if I feel like I'm cruising, I don't like that at all. Um, my mind is most quiet when I'm in complex situations. Mm. And as soon as I start to work out a situation, I start either to try and make it harder than what it needs to be or I move on to the next thing. I, I just know that about my brain. Um, so I I lean into it as hard as I can. Mm. Um, but it's interesting, and, I, and I'm, I meant to mention this in the last question, but I had to go through a period where I actively decoupled my identity from being Joycey, the sports guy that everyone knows, um, to being, you know, David, the MBA student. Mm. And so there was a bit of an, there was, there was some ego stuff there that I needed to work through. Um, and, and so that was also really good for me as well. Um, um, what I was, I kind of did this deliberately because I've just seen so many people that fail when they, when they retire from sport or when they're sacked or whatever, if their identity is I'm the athlete or I am the coach and then they leave that, they really, really battle. Whereas I did quite a bit of work inside myself to think that sport is just the vehicle. I love sport. I live and breathe it as you do, but it's just the vehicle. It's what I do, not who I am. Mm. When I came to that sort of realization, I was actually able to decouple that um, uh, relatively easy. But you know, and, and it's funny because I do so much executive coaching now of of people in sport and outside of sport, and people really struggle with this. Really, really, really struggle. So you need to go on a bit of a journey to to work out what it is that you can contribute to society outside of your job title. That's that's a beautiful share because, like I said to you, like I said, uh, I think you know, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Everybody has different levels of that, and and at the end of the day, you know, you have to find that space in order to make those kinds of changes. But you also have to wrestle with what you just talked about, which I think is is huge for the listener because I'm sure there's lots of people who will listen who've who've had that feeling or are in that place, especially in performance sport, because there is an identification side to it. I'm I'm curious off the back of that. I Actually, as you changed uh, your superhero costume, so to speak, did you find that the people who were used to you being Joycey the the this were maybe struggled with Joycey the new version 2.0, so to speak, uh, at all? Or, or are people just kind of comfortable with the fact that you've gone on to do something different? Um, initially, a lot of people couldn't understand it. 
Like mm. really, really couldn't understand it because it was, you know, as I say, it was high profile, all those sorts of things. And and I felt a, it sounds weird and I don't think I've ever sh- shared this with anyone, Scotty, but um, I kind of felt this sense of I was being disloyal to mm. myself and I was being disloyal to all the people that wanted to be in my position. Wow. And, you know, how, how could I possibly give this up? Mm. Um, but, but I got over myself with that. But it, but it did it did take me a little bit of time because I felt I, ke- I kind of felt I was being disrespectful to David Joyce version 1.0 that had, had had always aspired to be what I, what I was and I thought geez like, maybe I'm disrespectful to to actually go on oh, I'm, I'm different to that now mm. um, but I also found great comfort in people who had been in the hot seat and actually said you know good work it's 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 brave but i think it's a really good thing to do mm. and when so i i've got a wise counsel that i really that i you know invest a lot of um stock in and go right well what what do you think because i like to have different views of of the way i live my life and when when it came back that actually it was a good thing to do i felt a lot more comfortable and i took a, a great deal of comfort from from my wife saying it was a really good thing to do and my parents as well. So um, I think that's really valuable. I, uh, for, I've done similar things in my life in the sense that changed or had taken huge sea changes. And, and um, you know, sometimes people kind of go, they, they, they don't get it, but then they get it when you're doing something else and you're thriving yeah. in it or, or what have you. And uh, I think everybody gets used to what they know of you or their image of you as a human being. And, and when you kind of change it, they're kind of shook up a little bit, but they usually figure yeah. it out. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I'll tell you what, doing going full time on my MBA was really helpful because it actually removed me from that environment and also removed me from the spotlight. So it actually gave people a break and it gave me a break. Um, and so, you know, now I'm doing a lot more of the strategy work. It kind of makes sense. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's actually, it, I, I didn't go into it thinking that that was going to be a side effect, but in the rear view mirror, I can see that it, that it was good. And, you know, I'm not, I'm, what I'm doing is not a million miles away from what I was doing. Like I'm still, um, I'm still involved with athletes and mm-hmm. writing textbooks and, and things like that because it is my, it's me. Mm-hmm. It's just that I don't have a whistle in my mouth 24-7. Right. Um, and I've probably got a broader description of what coaching is. I don't mm-hmm. think coaching is just teaching someone how to back squat or how to run fast. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, coaching is basically getting people to be the best version of themselves and that's kind of my mission statement is to is to do that mm. um and there's just so many different ways you can do it you know and when uh, a lot of the stuff that i do when i'm coaching execs is that is i get them to have an expanded view of what it is that they actually do so they when they want to transfer jobs or transfer um occupations they're transferring a skill set, not a job title. Right. Beautiful. Um, I'm going to sort of not segue, but you know, this, this book that you've shared with me, high performance training for sports, which is a, another, the second edition, which is always, a, a, you know, a trepidation recreating something and, and building Ooh. on the first. And before we get into the, any of the guts of it, you're going through this change. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming you're manifesting the change in this book over time with all these different principal players. Well, how does the NBA change this project? Like, how does it, how does it affect the way you look at what you're going to do with that book after the first edition that you do it? Does it make you think about it, look at it, see it differently and maybe um, revise even the beginnings of what you thought you were going to do as a second version? Yeah, it's, um, I've actually not thought of it in that way because we started doing the second edition before I started doing my MBA. But Mm -hmm. I think the MBA was the culmination of my mindset change anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that what we've tried to do is have a much more um, 
all-encompassing view of performance. Like I think in the first one it was really good and very different to what had come, you know, in the past, um, but it was still quite siloed. There was and uh, there was a chapter on athletic on aerobic performance. There was a there was a chapter on strength training, and we've still got that. But what I've wanted to do is have in the world, and, and Dan and I re, we wanted to have these kind of we call them suspension chapters, mm. and they're the chapters which link the trenches. Mm. So there's no aspect of performance which exists as an island. And it doesn't matter if you know all the X's and O's of um, anaerobic conditioning and flexibility and um, strength training, unless you can, you know, coach properly, unless you can influence people through language and and power dynamics and unless you can create the learning environment, um, I I just don't think it's quite as, as effective. And that's what we've tried to do with this is to say, well, Sport and performance is a com- is an output of a complex adaptive system, and to put everything together to to make it a cohesive output, you need these glue chapters, mm-hmm. and that's what we've tried to put in. and And I don't know that that's necessarily an output of my MBA, but I think it is is definitely the way Dan's and my brains think about performance mm-hmm. and I, I know i know for a fact that that's that's a philosophy that you share like you're mm-hmm. very rounded in your view of performance it's not just one person that is the the gatekeeper of performance right yeah absolutely i mean i think that's a, we have a, sh- a shared passion for what we want to see happen in the world of human performance and stuff and it was kind of funny actually reading dan paps forward for you guys who for the listener, many of the listeners in human performance have heard of Dan before, but if you haven't, I mean, he's a world-class uh, and leader and as a coach in uh, athletics in, in his career, but was also a teacher for a long time. And I remember talking to him in his, in his forward. It's kind of ironic, and I want to get your your piece on it. He starts out by saying, you know, when I was a kid, so to speak, the, you know, it, you had to be a generalist. You had to do everything. You had to fill the water bottles. You had to go out and organize this. You had to do that. Da, 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 da. And then over time we created all these silos and every became specialists in these things. And now in essence, what we see over the last 10, 15 years, and especially very recently and your book does this in a very um, spectacular way obviously brings a lot of specializations together in a characterization of generalization in other words you better know more about these different things when you're making decisions about something that maybe you have a greater affinity for talk about that a little bit in your discovery process of that and your recognition that you know we were becoming too specialized and we need to be more generalized in our understanding of of the whole versus the parts yeah so my thoughts on that scotty are that um it's really helpful to have a one wood if you've got a one wood like the the big bertha that you can drive down the fairway and you can rely on that that's going to take you a long way and that's that's your specialized that's your specialism i suppose mm-hmm. um and the world has moved because we have got specialists um but the world is linked and an output a complex output needs people that can see things from different perspectives and I would like to think that that's what I can do. It's definitely what Dan can do and it's 100% what you can do is because you can approach um, a, a problem from a different set of perspectives and you can speak different languages, so to speak. Mm. Um, and that's really important. You can connect the specialists and get something which is greater than the sum of the parts. Mm. Um, and I know from myself that's what that's what I do. Like I'm... As a, I'm, I'm a good physio. I'm not the world's greatest physio. I'm a good strength coach. I'm, I'm nowhere near the world's greatest strength coach. What I think I'm pretty good at is being able to speak different languages and decipher and, and influence and, and create something which is, you know, a cohesive output mm-hmm. where everyone feels, you know, they've got a, they've got DNA in it. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's really important and it's, it's certainly very important that strength coaches can understand mental performance. It's really important that psychologists can understand 
injury. It's really important that physios can understand aerobic power, like all these sorts of things. It doesn't need to be their one wood. It doesn't have to be their major, but they need to have a minor in it. You know, that, mm-hmm. that's their rescue club. Mm-hmm. I, that's, I love that analogy. And the interesting thing when I was looking at the, the list of people who've contributed to it, and it's an ex, uh, unbelievable list of, of different prep people. And surprisingly enough, a number of them are people I've had on the podcast, which is really kind of cool. But what I see in the thematic, and I'm kind of, I, I want to know if this is intentional or it's just happens to be because you've, you've, connected with people with this kind of viewpoint, but you have a lot of those people who have, you know, a great driver, so to speak, but they also have this competency in generalizing. They, they have a, what I would call is an, um, an empathy for other, the other stratosphere in some sense. And is, was that intentional that you chose people to write a chapter who maybe get it, they get that concept, or did you just go after people you just had a lot of respect for in a particular area? I don't think there's a wrong or right answer. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. Quick break here. And we'll be back in a couple of seconds with our podcast guest. The reconditioning process is powerful, it's provocative, and it has become a sought-after capacity in the human performance world. ReconditioningHQ.com has released the R-Pro Series, a four-step turnkey process to integrating the worlds of therapy and performance. Four steps, one mission, to make you the reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. The first step is R1 Foundations, and it's recently been turbocharged with the injection of applied neurology. We are extremely excited about what this new capacity is going to do to your ability to solve problems and serve your client. For more information about the R-Pro series or any one of our empowering courses, head over to reconditioninghq.com and take advantage of our free 5 hours video that takes you through our groundbreaking method of improving mobility. Do you let $100,000 walk out of your rehab business every year? If you're like most businesses, you do. Operating your business under a fix or release model drives your client revenue out the door. For less than $10 per day, Isofit's line of strength products can change your revolving door of lost revenue into a flourishing rehab prevention and performance training business. Call them at one 866 2 I-S-O-P-H-I-T, and strengthen your rehab business bottom line today. Matrix Fitness is a global brand of fitness and performance equipment with over 7,000 employees worldwide. Their expertise and capacity in this world are exceptional, with over 500 products that cater to the medical, fitness, and athletic performance markets. But they want to do more than provide product. They want to help you thrive as a performance professional or business person. They are here to help. Whatever your problem might be, they are ready and willing to help you find solutions. Greg Lawler and his team at Matrix can be contacted at teamupwithmatrix.com. And believe me when I say this, they will make a difference in your success. We're back. Enjoy the rest of this podcast. Yeah, I don't think it was intentional. Um, I think it was definitely intentional that we got people that we really respected and that we felt had an important thing to say about a particular topic. Mm. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that people that have got a broad understanding of performance rise to the top. Mm. I don't think that's an accident. Mm. Um, and and also, you know, to be honest, most of the people in here, so we've got 50-odd contributors most of my mates and it's probably natural that I would be friends and Dan would be friends with people that are a bit more like us. You know, that's just the way humans work. It's Mm -hmm. why you and I get along so well is because we we see the world from different, similar um, perspectives. Um, We wanted to embrace a diversity of of skill sets and um, thoughts and I don't think it was necessarily a, an intention to say, right, well, we've got this person, um, but, you know, they're not quite rounded enough. Mm. I don't think that was the intention. But it's it's now that you mention it, I've not viewed it through that lens before, but now that you mention it, it probably makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. So now um, 
the wrench gets thrown in all of this. You're MBAing, you're your family creating, and you're um you're building this project and some and and nature decides to do a pandemic in the middle of all of this stuff. So how does that how does that throw a wrench in your plans? How does it change what you're doing? How how do you bounce around in that that new box of of as all of us have over the last 18 19 months? Yeah. Yeah, look I I certainly can't um I can't claim to have been as badly affected as some people, you know. Mm. Some people have really, really, really struggled in this. I'm lucky that I really like where I live, I really like who I live with, um, and I can still do my job. Mm. So if I didn't have it, um, all of those three things, this it would be a completely different ballgame and I would have really battled through COVID like so many millions of people have. Um, and for a large... Like, Putting aside the last five months, for large parts of the whole pandemic, in Sydney we've been reasonably unaffected. We've been locked down for the last five months and that's been a bit of a pain, but, um, you know, compared to what some people have had, we've been okay. I think how it impacted upon the book is that it's 12 months late. Right. Um, but, you know, in, in that time we were able to finesse it a little bit more and, and the like. So... Um, it's what, what's interesting is that we, in the introduction, we wrote about the changing face of sport and how we're not much is changing yet. Everything is about to change. And, and that was kind of viewed through the lens of technology changing, but also sustainability issues and Mm. COVID pandemic and where sport will change. Sport has changed. Um, and we've learnt a lot in this period. Like I've seen some incredible practice during this period of time um, and that will go on moving forward outside of the pandemic. Um, But we've also seen people really struggle and have a greater understanding and empathy for that as well. So I'm a firm believer in the the instructive nature of disaster. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if we can't learn stuff out of this pandemic then what chance have we ever got about learning things you know yeah no i i really liked uh obviously like i said i got the book last night so i had a chance to read the forward and read yours and dan's kind of opener um to kind of get get the palette wet but i was curious around that change side of things what what have you seen change already um from just the influence of the pandemic or the influence of, of the constraints of the pandemic and, and that may, may actually be good for sport in some ways. And what do you see um, on the horizon that, that maybe people don't, don't recognize is going to change, but uh, is very much in front of us or, or on our, on our plates to, to eat, so to speak. Yeah. I'm, I'm committed to the view that the organisations that have done really well and the people that have done really well in this um, are, are really adaptive and have got cognitive flexibility. Mm. Um, I, I did a lot of work looking at um, how we can look after our athletes and coaches and, and officials in quarantine coming back from the Olympics. That was one of the things that I've done for the, the Australian Institute of Sport and it was really clear that the people that thrived had a really strong sense of gratitude, had a sense of routine, had a, a strong sense of um, of cognitive flexibility but also a little bit of ability to roll with the punches. Hmm. Whereas the people that fared really poorly were the ones that um, were just simply did not ex, um, accept their lot and were constantly trying to bargain for mm. a change um, and the people that withdrew socially. Um, and so that, that was just so fascinating to be able to share that within the system here is to say, well, here are some things that we know are really important mentally. Um and that's that's super important for us, you know. We mm-hmm. we do need to be able to to help these people uh, and be cognitively flexible and align communication and all these sorts of things moving outside of the pandemic. Because I just think that is what good practice is. Mm-hmm. It's just been highlighted and accelerated and accentuated in the pandemic. What what do you what do you say? I'm interested in your thoughts from you know the North American perspective. 
Well, I'm, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to bifurcate on that too, because I want to come back on what you just said, and then I'm going to answer your question to me. But um, I, I find it interesting that, you know, or ha- I have always found it interesting that in, in high performance sport, what you would f- characteristically believe is highly innovative is actually very uh, constrained and, and restricted in essence. A lot of people in high performance sport are not risk takers. There, There's almost a, a sensibility that you should sort of follow the the traditions and the structures and the systems and getting out of that is, is risk taking. And so stay with, you know, stay with what is tried and true. And it's ironic because when I, when I was first cutting my teeth in in high performance, I expected to see more innovation. Mm. And so your commentary there in essence is to be free. The, the pandemic in some sense has given permission to people because of the forced constraint of it to rethink things and maybe yeah. look at it differently and then see that, oh, well, um, the bridge didn't fall out from underneath my feet. Yeah. Or even if it did, I was able to swim over here and we did something better. And that's the idea of innovation, right, at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and I think also there is a real risk. So people tend to be quite risk averse as you say but there's a real risk in not doing stuff so the the opportunity cost of of not innovating of not taking risk is really high it's like putting money in your bank account is seen to be zero risk the risk is that you you're missing out on all the gains everywhere else and your money's getting shrunk by inflation so it is actually the worst outcome you think you're being safe but it's actually the worst that you can do. So um, I completely agree with you. And and it's funny, I've, I've spoken a lot about risk of late, actually. And risk is something that we should, um, we should try and reduce to the point where um, if, our, if our rewards for the risk are just the same, then, you know, why take the risk? But when the rewards are great, you actually do need to risk failing. You mm-hmm. have to. Um, and the, the, we've seen this in, in the corporate world. The, the companies that have taken the risks, they're the ones that have actually done well in this pandemic. It makes no sense that that wouldn't translate into sport, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, actually, that's a well, first, I'll answer your question that you asked me a while ago. And then I want to come back on something because of, you know, your recent having a a little one and stuff. Um, I what I have recognized watching all of this from outside looking in because I'm not deeply in high performance sport. Now I'm more doing the things that I like doing out externally of it, but I, I watch it. And I think to your point, the um, it's been interesting to see the adaptations and the, and the recognition that you can forge through these challenges without, um, without your life vest on that you thought you had to wear all the time. And I think I've seen organizations who've thrived through that and other organizations that have been challenged by that. And I think at the end of the day, to your point um it has rewarded those who who are not um to a degree risk averse to those who are open-minded to those who may have structures for success in their lives but they're not necessarily um constrained by them uh in a sense that if they don't have them then they can't operate or function you know and uh, and the flex to the flexible go the the spoils so in 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 some sense you know yeah yeah that's been a that's been a huge observation for myself but the thing I want to play off that risk piece because and it's almost for my own my own self as well but I have found like I'm one of the things that I'm building in my life is with my wife is a, a you know, an educational portal with the things that we believe in. And I know I've talked to you before about the idea of reconditioning and bringing the two worlds mm-hmm. of therapy and performance together, et cetera. But, you know, there's this risk reward concept. And when I was younger and I didn't have kids, I found it much easier to put put all your money on, you know, red six or whatever it was. And now it's kind of like, well, if I put all my money on red six and things don't go well, I have this little mouth to feed. I've got this. So, yeah. so I'm wondering, you know, uh, in your 
your sensitivity to that, especially now, and you're, it's kind of ironic that you've had your uh, little fella at, at around 45, because that's when I had my daughter as well. So, and she's now 13. So it's, it's, it changes you and it changes the way you look at things. And one, uh, did it change you? And then number two, having another one, does it change you again? And, and how does it affect your, you know, the way you've looked at these different things? Um, I'm not, I'm not sure how much it'd change my, uh, appetite for risk. Mm-hmm. Um, although I don't think I would careen down, um, black runs quite as quickly as what I used to do. <laughs> um, what I what I can absolutely say with with certainty and with clarity is that winning on the weekend used to be really 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 important to me really important mm-hmm. and I think elite sport was fantastic for me and I think I was pretty good to elite sport but you know even since Matilda was born three and a half years ago. Um, I'm much more about being a good ancestor now than winning on the weekend. And being a good ancestor, I'm not just talking about to my kids, I'm talking about the whole sporting landscape, about how do we get more women to be high-performance coaches? How do we have, how do we improve the on-ramp for athletes to, to get into the system? How do we improve the off-ramp? for athletes to get out of the system without, you know, um, mental health issues and and things like this, like much bigger strategic um, good ancestor problems, you know. Um, mm-hmm. but it's funny. So my mum and dad live in Canberra, which is the capital of Australia, and, and I love going to Canberra to see them. But the other thing I love about Canberra is that they have about, I don't know, a decade ago built an arboretum. So this huge parcel of land, like hectares upon hectares upon hectares of trees that they've 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 they've, they've planted new trees and um, and it's quite close to the city, and I just I love the concept of it because whoever had the foresight to give the go ahead, and this is this this parcel of land will be worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. Um, they're doing this knowing that they will never see the the fruit of their labour. Their decision they will never see in full bloom, ever. And their kids won't and their grandkids won't. They're doing it for seven generations. Um, And that's what all arboretums like that, you know. And and I just, I I love the selfless nature of that. I love Mm. it. Mm. And I think that 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 bone in my body has been, activated since having kids mm-hmm. to a much greater extent. And and a lot of people that I speak to that have had kids similarly sort of experience that, and I'm really mindful that this is your podcast and you get to ask the questions, but I'm interested in what, what you think on that. I I agree 110%, and I, I was just going to make the comment that um, as I've uh, aged and uh, and had to do a lot of thinking myself, I think the less you grip things, um, and start to let go and, and allow for the possibilities, whether those are things that you will never see yourself or are simply the allowance for what is happening to flow around you, the more you start to see the nature of life sort of expose itself for you. Um, And and really you start to see, it's almost like now you start to see the colors you didn't see before and you start to recognize the the sounds you didn't hear before. Um, And it sounds kind of esoteric, but in in truth, it really, I think we spend too much time gripping the boat and hoping, you know, and saying that if I grip the steering wheel, I'm going to get where I need to get to. And sometimes you just have to let the storm flow or the the water flow and take you where you're going to go while you enjoy the ride you know and i think that's that's a that's a really powerful element of exposing yourself to that because it makes you rethink why you're doing what you're doing yeah, 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 yeah. Our, our younger listeners are thinking that the two old judges from the Muppets are <laughs> having, a, having a senior moment. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, what's he going on? Yeah, I get it. <laughs> well, and, you know, it's funny, but you try you, as as you get older, you're like, well, how do you hand this down, or how do you give that perspective to somebody? And I think it's you know, you go through all these different perspective journeys in your life, and and I think that's what life's about is kind of refabricating who you're going to be, or what you're going to be, or where you're going to go. Uh, and you're obviously doing an amazing job of that. Um, when I was going to actually pivot to a question around, um, because it's become quite significant, I think, in the culture of sport over here. I don't know what's going on in Australia, but I know, and, and you had mentioned about women's sports a little bit and getting more women into high-performance sport. And you're starting to see a lot of this stuff around coaching abuse and uh, women in sport being sort of, uh, you know, having open the closet door to a lot of stuff that's been going on for a long time. And um, I know I don't expect you to have the answer of all answers, but from your perspective, what, what is it that we're missing in, in educating our, our young men and men in general about how we should be treating women in a performance environment? And whether that's a business performance environment or a sport performance environment, what, what should we be doing differently? Yeah, wow. Um, now, that, there's a meaty question, isn't it? Um, mm. I think that sport is a reflection of society mm. um, and that there is no um, – there is nothing really that we're seeing in sport that we don't see in every other aspect of life, and that's just tragic. It's just that sport has got the amplifier, you know. <laughs> um, it is – it's awful, awful, awful to, to watch – um, and at the same time, it is just so empowering to see these so incredibly strong young women standing up and saying, you know, this enough is enough. Um, mm. I guess the, the thing is that there's the whole ecosystem around the, the, the coach and around the, around the athlete and the power imbalance is, is wrong. Mm. Um, but, you know, it is interesting because I don't know if you've listened to it, but there's, um, there's a fantastic 30 for 30 podcast called Heavy Metals. Okay. And it's about the, you know, the USA Gymnastics stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not about the doctor. It's about the coaches. Right. And, you know, what, what a lot of the coaches have done is just awful, like unforgiv- unforgivable. But then you look at look at it through a slightly slightly different lens, which is these coaches came from Romania. That this was the way they coached there, and by winning gold medals, they didn't have to stand in the bread queue. So they they got meals, hmm. which no one else did. And then they come over to America, and they're fettered by society. And they're in the back of cereal boxes, and 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 this is what society is rewarding you know is gold medal performances Hmm. and i can understand how that can lead to win at all costs thankfully i think what we're seeing is a shift to go well winning is not the only thing that matters and we're seeing this in business as well it's not just profits it's esg so environmental social and, and governance as well so triple bottom line stuff um and it's my hope that we will move to a, a sporting system where gold medals are still valued, but it is not the only measure of success because it's too blunt and it does lead. It is an incentive that leads to really poor practice um, mm. or it sort of it breeds it. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't have to win gold medals by being like that. Um, yeah. that's never an excuse. Um, but it is, we, we would be doing a disservice to the, the women and girls that have been abused if we don't actually look at the entire system and the incentives and the motivations that go with it as well. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really interesting to hear you say that. And I think the, the, um, parsing out of that in some sense but what i've experienced anyways is i think we always look i was on an interesting um uh 
webinar yesterday with Alpine Canada, sort of talking to a lot of their de- developmental um, athletes or coaches. And there's always this kind of look from the development level to the, the higher levels of what is it that you should be doing to get prepared to be the best you can be, so to speak. And our conversation always came, you know, circled around, yes, these are some of the things we see when people arrive at the at the best that are they're missing, but you guys need to be working on these kinds of things down here and not always looking up because what what we're exemplifying is to your point a bit of a win at all costs mentality when you get to pro or you get to ultimate olympic there's this kind of sensitivity that we're here to win because that's why you you put the skis on or you put the helmet on or you put all these things on and that's what i noticed a lot when i was in pro sport as you probably did is you know the the money taints the game there there is a sense that it's an entertainment um element all this kind of stuff but that then becomes what the label is for what people should be aspiring to and and i think i recognize that that's a bad <laughs> It's a b- bad exemplification for people to look towards. What they sh- we should be exemplifying is that winning is an outcome of these these approaches and these kinds of strategies. And so these are the things we need to be doing better, which is the human element of of the game, so to speak, and how we we prepare people to be better better people, so to speak. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know. it's about having a balanced scorecard approach. So rather than just looking at profit as the bottom line or gold medals as the bottom line, you go, these are these are other things on our dashboard to look at whether we have got a healthy ecosystem here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that, um, you know, maybe to circle back to the MBA piece at the, at the beginning, business is a... You know, there are different ways of doing business and you and, and there are sometimes where it's bottom line centric and there's other things where it's, uh, you know, are the stocks rising centric and, and other things where you, there is a human centric side. And I know that there's a big shift uh, in that world now in business. So what were you exposed to in your MBA that sort of made you also relook at sport in the sense that we can do it better Um and perhaps that business is looking at now in those MBA programs around how it, how uh, the outcome, the bottom line is a, is a resonant expression of the satisfaction of your, of the people who work for you and what they're doing and all that kind of stuff versus just, Hey, how do we make profit? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I agree with all of that. I think the um, profit is important. Um, shareholder value is important. It's just not the only things that are important, you know, and Mm. and it is too blunt and it sets up too many um, incentives for malevolent behaviour. And it's the same sort of thing in sport, you know. And I guess the things that the NBA has helped me look at is uh, look through sport and through a different lens, particularly through the strategy side of things, but I can really see um, when sports scientists struggle to get their concepts across to coaches, as an example, right? Mm. Um, Marketing has solved this problem. So if you can view things through a marketing lens, and that's not just advertising, but that is looking at what the value proposition is, um, you know, that we, we we can gain influence that way rather than just saying, you know, I've got the best product, why don't you buy my product, which is sports scientists saying, I've got the best GPS, you know, why don't you buy my GPS units? Um, it's about actually understanding the 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 use case and the, the value proposition for the customer, which mm. might be the athlete or the coach. And, and all that is just that stuff has been, so, I want to say solved, it's been, that has been worked on, in marketing for decades. Mm. So there'll be stuff where I'm, I'm at sport in working in sport now and I'm opening my marketing textbooks and going, right, I'm, I'm just taking that. <laughs> because we do this really poorly. Yeah. Um, and it's the same for sort of long-term strategy stuff as well. So there, there's a lot, like in the Venn diagram, there's a lot of crossover here. Yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, it's almost like every every – performance coach 
<clears throat> should take a marketing degree because it is all sales at the end of the day. <laughs> Everything we do is sales. Everything yeah. we do is sales. Like yeah. whether whether I'm trying to get my kids to eat their dinner or or whatever it is, it is yeah. all influence. You're always pitching an idea. Always. Mm-hmm. Well, man, you and I could probably talk for hours, but uh, we do have to bring uh, this thing to a close at some point. I have to go off and take my little girl to the bus stop, and you need to go to bed at some point. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, got yeah, a yeah. five-month-old that's going to keep you up tonight. Um, yeah. we, we, we talked a little bit about high-performance training for sports. Your new uh, second edition just came out. Uh, where can people get it if they're, if they're interested in, uh, in getting the book or keep, and connect with you, David? Yeah, it's it's available around the world. So you know, Amazon, Booktopia, Book Depository, all, all the all the usual outlets, and and um, in some physical bookstores if they still survive in in your neighbourhood as well. So uh, <laughs> no, no, that's it's available everywhere and, and through the publisher as well. Human Kinetics have done a terrific job, and um, and if people want to you know reach out, I'm really happy to to converse with people at David G Joyce on Twitter. Or on LinkedIn as well. So really happy to 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 engage and um, you know the, we're we're so proud of this book. Like there's 16 new chapters. There's there's 50 world class contributors. Um, and you know we talk about marketing. We the the book markets itself. Like this mm-hmm. is um, we're we're really pleased and and hopefully it, it gets as much value to gives as much value to people as as what the first one did. So we really appreciate you. You're um, uh, allowing us to speak about it on the on the on the pod and 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 other issues as well. We 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 can't do it without people like you, Scotty. So thank you for everything that you do. Thank you, David. Thanks for taking the time and you know, kudos to you and to Dan for um, being the the corralers of all these extraordinary people to contribute to something like this. It is a groundbreak. It was a groundbreaking book. And I think in the second edition is even more impressive and it's impressive to bring those kinds of people together under a thematic and get them all to herd them into something that comes out. The other side is really powerful and empowering. I think it's a game changer for the industry and I appreciate you and I appreciate you doing that. So thank you. Thank you. Great man. Look forward to the next one. Take care and have a good one. Have a good sleep, sir. Yeah, thank you. Have a great day. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de saint Rome.